Welcome to the show. My name is Sean Davis, and I'm your humble host of the Revolution Podcast. And joining me, as always, my hostess with the mostest, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we talk about life balance. We talk about living that ULA life. ULA is a personal development company focused on balancing your life in seven key areas, faith, family, fitness, friends, field, fun, and finance. And it is said, Jen, that if you can balance all of those while growing, focusing on a life of purpose, you are living your ULA la life or for short you are living your ULA life. There you go. And uh, that's what this podcast is all about, helping to share stories yes. of other people endeavoring to live their best balanced life, a life of balanced growth and purpose. And so here we are, Jen. How are you doing today? I am very balanced. Actually, you, I'm not. What? No, I'm You're not, not balanced? No. Are I, you falling over I'm right lying. now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually am very unbalanced in my finance. I realized that this weekend. Really? Yes. Did you go through your wheel? I went through my wheel and I realized that I don't like numbers. You don't like numbers? And money. And money. And the things. And the things that go along with numbers yeah. and money. I like to spend it. I just don't like to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> no truer statement has been said ever. And that's one of the reasons why you married a guy that likes numbers or at least is good at numbers. I was going to say, I don't know if you like numbers, but you're good at numbers. You know, around our house, Jen always goes, okay, 36 plus 74, what is it? Or 22 plus 47. I mean, if you don't say that <laughs> once or twice a day. I have to say it out loud because I can't figure it out in my brain but mm. if I say it out loud then I can see it and then I can add it so this is this is revealing to me so <laughs> if it comes out your mouth right then it connects to your brain right but if it doesn't come out your mouth yeah. then it doesn't connect to your brain yeah that's, that's why you talk so much that's why I talk all the time <laughs> but see and that's why you know the kids might think I'm stupid when I'm saying what is 16 plus three? Because the way you don't just say it out loud, you ask it as though it's a question to those around you. And how and many it, times do I say, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> like, don't answer. I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. Okay, I'm gonna take our audience over here in a corner really quick. <laughs> then sometimes I get in trouble because I'm not listening enough. I, when I'm asking you a question, I will directly say, Sean. Sean. What is this? What is 34 plus 76? But if I'm randomly just saying blah, 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 I'm talking to myself. Well, after 27 years, I guess it is on me to know the difference. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, you're behind. I am behind. I'm still learning, right? <laughs> the kids which is know. What, which is what it is all about, right? Growth, Growth. Still learning. Still, still growing. Ongoing learning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're having some fun, but I want to have a little bit more fun. How about we tell a joke? We shall tell jokes. Are you going to tell a food joke again? I, or do we do different jokes I on Revolution? I only know food jokes. You only know food jokes. Yeah. Okay. Well, get your joke teed up. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. How do you fix a broken tomato? Well, number one, I didn't know break, the tomatoes could break. Yeah. Broken tomato. You squash it and Have you make ever it thrown a up. tomato on a wall? I don't think I ever have. Oh. Well, maybe. I've thrown, <laughs> I've thrown a peach on a wall before. I've probably thrown an apple on a wall. I've thrown grapes on a wall. Never a tomato, I don't think, though. <laughs> but how do you fix a broken tomato? With tomato paste. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. That was the how obvious did, answer. How did you not know that? I am deficient in certain areas. <laughs> That's how I didn't know that. All right. Um, I think I got a good shot at this one. If that, if that was your joke, I think I got a good shot at winning the joke off okay. here. All right? Yes. All right. So here we go. 
If April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? The Mayflower. Um, the Pilgrims. Oh, my God. Did I get it? <laughs> that means I totally win. I'm so smart. You are, but sometimes you are frustrating, too. <laughs> that was easy. I didn't expect I you that. to get that one. I, you know, I am very smart. You are. I think a lot. You do. <laughs> and talk a lot, too, as we've already established. All right, you ready for our interview? I am super ready. Okay, so we are going to interview Deanna Freeman. Now, she has been a balanced life enthusiast for Mm -hmm. a while now. She has loved ULA. She has lived ULA. And I think that she's going to share a story for us and the audience that is unlike any ULA story we've heard. See, because we've heard stories with ULA of people losing weight. Right. We've heard stories of people balancing their life. We've heard stories of people paying down debt Mm -hmm. because of ULA. ULA is awesome. We've heard a lot of great stories, but here's this. She went through a very traumatic period of time where something happened to her family, and I'll let her share, but devastating, mm-hmm. okay? Really big, heavy, devastating stuff. She says Ula helped her build her life back out of that. Ula helped to save her family. She was able to find gratitude in the midst of the trial, and then she's taken what that family experienced and then created something beautiful out of it. So I want to mm-hmm. get her get her on the line here to share her story, but yeah. it's an awesome Ula story, and it's the power of this framework to transform and change lives. So should we call her up and get her online? Let's call her. All right, here we go. Well, it is my pleasure to welcome Deanna Freeman to the show. Deanna, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is sincerely our pleasure. You know, I've been fellowshipping with you and hearing you on our morning clubhouses. And I just, I was eager, telling Jen today, I was eager to get you onto the podcast to hear more about your story. So thank you for sharing as you've done on the clubhouses every morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is early for us. I hear you. It's eight for me and it's still early. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you live? Uh, tell us a little bit about your family. You married, you have kids. Yeah. So, um, I am 52, almost 53. So yes, I have two kids. I have five grandkids. I am from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I do still live here. Although I did a little stint in California for four years, which was nice. I love that. I was in the Santa Cruz area. Um, I am on marriage number two, <laughs> and interestingly, I married someone that I've known since I was in junior high, and we just kind of reconnected after I went through my divorce, which is some of the struggles and trauma and things that we'll talk about here today that will lead to this message of hope because it is out there. Awesome. I I can't wait to uh, hear that. But before we move on, I just got to say, Jen and I have been to New Orleans, Nolens, however you, 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 yeah, Nolens from the South, right? We've we've been there one time and funny story, like we get there and I've got a a good friend of mine that we're there with and it's his wife and Jen and I, and we're going down, you know, what is it? Bourbon street? Is that the, the, the main thoroughfare on a weekend? well, that's, that's the tourist party street. Yes. yes. All right. So that's we were where in the, they have the hurricanes. Yes. The hurricane <laughs> drinks, right? Like, so we found, we probably had, you know, one or two hurricanes by this time, but here, here's the whole thing that you'll find funny. So not ever being there before, and I didn't do any research before going there, you know, all of a sudden we see lots of ladies walking around with all these beads around their necks. So this guy and I get this idea that that's the way that they're supposed to to go like you're supposed to buy beads for your for your lady and have the <laughs> your lady have these beads around her neck right uh, so we walk into this store yeah yeah and and so i'm like okay i gotta load jen up with some beads and you know this guy steve he's loading up his wife uh you know with beads as well and we're just walking down the street and we could not understand why they kept getting accosted to be you know showing themselves down <laughs> bourbon street somehow some way and we did not connect to the fact we're that like, it was the beads these people are weird here <laughs> why do people keep approaching my <laughs> wife asking to see her you know lady parts <laughs> 
Right. Well, they thought you earned those views. I know. Yeah, That's so what I we can. figured out after the fact. <laughs> we fi- we figured that out a little later. But, you know, the, on first arrival, we didn't read the instruction book to how to navigate mm. Nolans. No. So that's our that's our right. little funny story well, in the in the background. Well, there you go. Fun time. Well, we, we did cap time. it off, though. The, 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 the best moment of the whole trip was eating at Emerald Lagasse's. Yes. Uh, was it Nola's? Is mm-hmm. that what it was? Nola's, right yeah. And we had, it's it, to date, the most expensive meal I've ever had in my life <laughs> yeah. and also probably the best meal I've ever had in my life. Like five courses, Jan, yeah. took us like four what hours it and it was like deg- 700 bucks for like four of us. Yeah. The degustation yeah. meal. It was like the yeah, total experience. Huge. A bottle of wine with each course. and <sighs> Since then, we, yes, we no indeed. longer drink. <laughs> <laughs> Eating here is, is, is legit. It's serious. Yes. You know, you got to be, you got to be prepared for it. Oh, I'm always you know. prepared. Jen's <laughs> always prepared to eat. <laughs> Do a cleanse a week before and the week exactly. after. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Get your body ready. Get your body ready for what That's you're going to have. Well, uh, why don't we jump in? And I, you know, I know you got a story of of hope to share. And I know uh, in the in the background, we've talked a little bit about what that story's like. So I'll let you set it up. You know, however you want to set it up. But why don't you go ahead and begin to share where your uh, journey starts. Okay, so I feel like what I'm going to start is not in the past. I'm going to start where I connected with a uh, framework that made me notice all of the things that I needed to deal with. And that's kind of really where it starts. That happened in 2015. I was introduced to what is called ULA. And when I started reading that book, it really hit me. I was in a major emotional and traumatic place um, and trying to recover from some serious trauma in my life. And it had been a few years, but I didn't realize that I wasn't doing the things I needed to do. And the book that you're Um, talking about is ULA, uh, Find Balance in an Unbalanced World, right? That's the book that you're referencing? Right. And that was the original one, too. So, yes. And it's uh, by Dr. Troy Omdahl and Dave Braun. And those are two doctors that have worked together in the personal development field. Um, So I met them in 2015, loved what they had to say, bought the book, read the book, and said, I got a lot of work to do. And so I'll tell you what the trauma was and the situation that I had come through. And I'll try to get through this without totally breaking down. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're with friends. So, you know, just, just know. <laughs> it's a process. Anyway, so it's funny because I've talked about this as part of my healing process. But, you know, it's still painful. I uh, went through a divorce. It was a long and messy divorce. The divorce actually took seven years and I was coming out of an abusive relationship. So that had already taken its toll and I didn't actually end the relationship. There was a lot of hangups and beliefs about failing in that regard, in that area, my kids not having a father, all kinds of things. And so that was already some trauma and abuse that I was dealing with. But when we came through that situation, uh, my kids were at the time almost 12 and 14. And so we had an in-law, not a blood relative, who said, oh, you know, I have a lot in common. My son is two years older than my daughter. I have a lot in common with, you know, him and we will just hang out. I'm going to step in and I'm going to help out, you know, take him on some jobs with me, you know, help him get a little extra money in his pocket. He can pay for his cell phone or his car insurance, things like that. Um, and they started, you know, hanging out and this was going to be, you know, a little bit of help with my kids. And you, you were probably Um, receptive to it at the time, just because like to your, to what you were saying, you already processed the divorce and then you're thinking about it from the context of your kids not having a father figure. And then here this, you know, man comes into your life. That's, that's not a blood relative, but a relative an in-law and says, Hey, I can help. Like I can take on some mentorship with your son and come alongside you. So I could, I could see how that would be something that would be attractive or, you know, beneficial to you at the time. 
Yes. And we were close. My family's very close. This was my sister's husband. And we, we vacationed together. We hung out together. We were in family reunions together. Um, they loved the same music. He introduced, he was, he was a musician and he introduced my kids to a lot of different, uh, artists and different bands that we all are in love with till today. So it was, because I came through a controlling situation with the abuse, it was a breath of fresh air to just have somebody around who was free and would hang out and then, you know, take my kids and, and, and teach them things that they didn't know. Um, and, and, and initially it was fine. That's what it was. But um, we apparently didn't know him the way we thought we did. And he had been a part of our family for a while, and uh, we knew that he had some issues with drugs that went back and forth, back and forth. And it wound up that he introduced my kids to drugs. And Oh, my gosh. This, right. And then this became an issue where I was struggling to fight with them to see the flaws in this relationship by this time. So this is about a year into them hanging out with him or so. Did you know that he was the origin of their access to drugs? I mean, was that apparent initially or did you not know that? No, that was apparent initially because of the fact that he also had my brother who is six years older than my son. So they're closer in age than my brother and I. I'm 16 years from my brother but he's six years older than my son. So it kind of all got wrapped up because we found out he got arrested and that's how we found out all of the the seriousness of it. And at that point we were like, okay, this has got, y'all have to pull back from this. But then when you have teenagers (laughs) trying to tell your teenagers something's not good for them when they don't see that, I mean, teenagers just kind of think they know everything. They also think they're invincible. Invincible. They think that they are fine. They have it under control. But yet they don't have the really the brain function, the fully developed brain to be able to actually understand this. Yeah. Um, and, and you're talking about the man I, that was that, that was coming alongside them, this in-law. He got arrested. Yes. It wasn't one of your children that got arrested. No, he got arrested. Okay. And then wound up on, you know, probation. He's a talker, so he got himself out of it. As a matter of fact, I think we actually had someone we knew that helped him walk through the process, got him on probation. But at this point, you know, I was very leery and was saying, you guys need to pull back from this relationship. Um, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the jobs. I don't care. This is not okay. Um, but he was still around because he was married to my sister. So, so we had this period in which that was going on. Um, finally they separated my sister and him. Uh, but the damage was already done because at this point he had manipulated, you know, my kids, he is a master of manipulation, but he also wound up molesting my daughter. So everything shifted and he took the most advantage that he could of a 13 year old child. And so that went on for a year, to be honest, where I struggled to discover the truth when you have teenagers who aren't forthcoming. And the big part is, you know, that her brother and her her uncle, my brother, they did not know that this was going on. Um, so his form of manipulation, of course, and this is part of the course when you're dealing with people who are pedophiles or people who have this illness, that they, they convince the person to be quiet. They convince them that they're in a, a, a normal and loving relationship, but they also convince them that they need to be quiet about it because other people won't accept it. And, and, and when you threaten to talk or you threaten to say something, his MO was, you know, if you did that, everything's going to fall apart. We're not going to be able to see each other. And, you know, I'm going to kill myself. And that's what he put onto a 13 year old child. <laughs> so, it was a very messed up situation. 
ironically, the way I found out about it was that my son, who was still a minor at the time, he was 17. This was at, my daughter actually ended this on her own. Um, she is the strongest person you'll know. Both of my kids are really strong. She ended this on her own. And even though I had tried to find out, like I knew, I, I knew, I knew. Um, but I, you can't do anything if there's nobody talking. Like there's literally no action that I could take. So, and then, and then a, a guy like that will use that situation to make you think you're crazy. You know, he'll make he'll make the situation seem as though it's not what it is, and then you you sit there second guessing yourself the whole time. Like, am I really? Am, am, is this really happening? No, I must be imagining this. This can't be, and then it is, and that you know, it's like you fighting with that inner spirit voice that's saying, "Listen, there's some problem here." Yet, in the worldly sense, you're not getting any of the of the information that you needed to to make that a concrete knowing. You know. Right. So that was what happened at first. And that is what was happening while it was going on. Once she actually stopped it, I knew for a certainty. I knew because I know my kids, but I still couldn't get her to admit it. It took me an entire year to get her to admit it, a little bit over a year. And the way that that came out is um, we were at a block party Um you know, in, in, a, in a suburb of, of where I live. And um, they have, you know, little hot rod cars and stuff like that. And we stopped in at this restaurant that usually, like, it, it's a restaurant and a bar. And during the day, anybody can go in there. And then when they set up for nighttime with the bands in the bar, um, the kids have to leave. Well, they were going around collecting uh, the cover charge and checking people's IDs. My son was in the bathroom. Which he wasn't saying, obviously, um, but he was in the bathroom and he was getting ready to leave to go get his sister from work. He was in the bathroom smoking weed and with one of his friends. And obviously there's no smoking, much less <laughs> smoking a drug, which I, now has been, you know, a lot more has been decriminalized about it. But then was just like, you know, no. And this is a town that's very staunch, you know. And so he did get arrested. I turned around to my sister slapping me going, they're arresting him. They're arresting him. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Oh, my gosh. So here you are, a mother, watching your, at this time, he was 14 or 15? 17. He was 17 at this time because he started out at 14, a little bit over 14. Um, 15 when all of the stuff happened with his uncle and his sister. Now, he did his uncle that. ever do anything to him? Was it was it just your daughter, or was it your son as well? Just, just her. We have approached that subject. It was just her, as far as molestation. Um, with him, it was just the introduction of the drugs. Um, so here you are drugs, watching your seventeen-year-old get handcuffed and arrested, which I can't not mm-hmm. even imagine what it would be like as a parent mm-hmm. to witness that. And one of his friends, both of them. They, they lived in, his friend lived in Florida. He was in town visiting with us. So his mom wasn't even here. You know, I went outside and, and I, I stood in front of him. I'm like, what is going on? And, and, and you want to know the most helpless feeling it was in that moment that, you know, the cop was like, take your hands off of him. I'm like, he's my kid. He's like, I don't care. Take your hands off of him. You can follow us over to, they have a little small, city jail right there um and so we walked over there they booked them and then send them home with me they were they weren't going to keep them they're not they're minors and ultimately he you know he they won't even let parents pay the fines for this uh they can't do anything because he's a minor as far as jail is concerned or anything um they could have i guess considered juvenile but he's never been in any trouble not even a speeding ticket so um, they just gave them some community service. Um, we did get an attorney, but ultimately that's all that happened was they got some community service so that they could get themselves straight. And but I, I like that with the courts, made them take some responsibility for what they did. But that night what happened was I had reached my 
my wall. I had hit my wall. And I was over all of the secrets. I was over all of the things that were going on under my nose and acting like I didn't know when I did know and I couldn't get them to talk about it. So when we got home, I, I just, I confronted my daughter and I said, I know that this happened and I need you to say it so that we can move forward and take care of it. And she finally did. So at this point, you know, we stayed up all night crying, talking. My son did not know. So he, he had found out just maybe two months before this, um, that she finally admitted it to him and, um, one of her friends. And, uh, you know, so we walked through that process. We were up all, all night. At that point, I knew that if I didn't take some type of immediate action, to remove this person out of our lives. And it's not just my life. It's my son who doesn't comprehend that this is not his friend. It's my brother who doesn't comprehend that yet either because they're, they're still young. It's my sister who is still, even though they were separated, they were not divorced. It's a whole lot. It's a whole lot because it's in the middle of your family. So the next morning, I, I basically, I called my sister. She was with my mom. And I said, you all need to come over here because this is what happened. Literally blurted out, he had sex with my daughter. And uh, they came over. And I talked with them. We all talked as a family. My family, again, is very, very close. And so we talked with them. And I said, I am going to do what I have to do to get him arrested and convicted. At the time, my daughter was extremely resistant because she didn't want to have contact with him and she didn't know what this was going to look like. So that's when we tapped into a nonprofit foundation. It's called Hope House. And we worked with them. They talked with her. They worked with her. They helped us with the medical side of it because you do have to go through the medical side, even though we knew that it had been too long for them to find any proof on the medical side. You still have to go through that. So that, you know, was another thing. Then we set this whole thing up. She gets her courage to talk to him. And the their recording while she's talking to him and telling him some things that we kind of set up to get him to admit what he did and he so did, this he so this is like a wire basically so she she's well, in a situation is, where this, she's this got a phone tap okay this is, this is them recording on the phone and the problem was that the recording did not work oh, they could hear my our gosh. side of the conversation and not his so, so she, she goes that, so she goes through this this torment in, in essence, because, you know, this has become a much bigger thing. She's realizing the gravity of it. She realizes how wrong it is. Now she wants nothing to do with it. But in terms of actually doing something about it, bringing him to justice, she's got to be involved. So she musters up the courage to have this conversation. It's all planned out. She has the conversation. He admits to it. But then there's no audio. There's no recording of it. Right. Oh, my right. gosh. So shaking and trembling and it didn't work. And the sheriff was beside himself. He was like, I cannot believe it because he heard everything, but we don't really have it. So these guys, I'll have to say, these guys know what they're doing. They are amazing with dealing with these victims and, and, and getting, getting what they need done. So he, he said, we need to devise another plan she said, I can't do this again. Um, you know, she was physically, you know, trembling, shaking, trying to get through this conversation and hold it together. So my son at this point is starting to recognize the gravity of all of this. He says, I mean, his, his, he was at this point in anger and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. I know I can get it from him because they were the ones that hung out as buddies, right? 
so he's like, you know, what do I need to do? I'll do it. I can get it. I know I can. And so basically they wired him. So him at age 17 had to wear a wiretap and trap who he thought was his best friend after he lost his first male role model, his father. Now he has this second one that has betrayed him even more. And he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So he did. And he did. He did it. He got it. And they got the recording. He trapped him again in a different place to get the arrest once they got it all passed through the court to arrest him. And then they brought him in. And ultimately, he confessed. The thing that this did, and I hope that this is something that gives people out there some courage, because the thing that this did was remove him from everybody's life that he could have continued to have an effect on. He would not have gone down easily. He would have not backed away without a fight. He thought he was smarter. And had he remained a free person, he, he would have continued to wreak havoc. And no one would have had the chance to heal. And no one would have had the chance to grow, like literally grow up so that they could see this from the vantage point of a 25-year-old and not a 17 and a 15-year-old. Yeah. So, and that was a big deal. And that mattered to me. And I knew he was already out on a probation. So it increased some of the time that he had to spend because he broke the law, which you don't get to do when you're on probation. And you held him accountable. He was held accountable for the decisions that he made and he has to pay the price. Like that's what the justice system is for. And I I, just going back to what you said, I just want to take a moment and just like, how was that for you? I mean, you're sitting here, your daughter goes through what she goes through to have no recording like that. That was basically just torment there for her. And then your son, like I could see you having a moment of pride. Oh my gosh. You know, he's trying to step up to the plate here. He is trying to help the situation, save his sister, you know, hold this man accountable. But then there's got to be a part of you too that's going, oh my gosh, like, you know, here's my 17-year-old son going to face the lion, you know, in essence, to try to bring him to justice. And like, so you had to have like a thousand different emotions and feelings going on at the time. I, I was so tied up in emotions that I was probably the most unhealthy I've ever been in my life. Because I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Uh, it, it was just, yes, the whole pull of everything. Because my whole world was trying to deal and keep my family as a unit functioning. And that had already fallen apart to a large degree. And then this just compounded it, uh, you know, exponentially. Like, there's no, like, number you could put on that. And... um And so, yeah, so for me, this is where, this is kind of where, now we're back to where I started, where this framework kind of moved in to my life. So now we're at this point, he got arrested in 2014. I got introduced to ULA in 2015. And And for the benefit of our listeners, let, let me just explain it. ULA is a lifestyle framework that you plug your life into that helps you to develop a life of balance, growth, and purpose in seven key areas, faith, family, friends, fitness, field, fun, and finance. But more than that, it starts to address things like blockers in your life, things like fear, guilt, envy, self-sabotage, lack of focus, laziness, and also accelerators in life like gratitude, love, wisdom, etc. It's a complete lifestyle framework to plug into. That's the modern equivalent. But back when you were doing it, you had read it through a book and started to just, you know, plug your life into it. And then this landmine situation is going on at the time. Right. And to be honest with you, um, when people talk about uh, what they call God winks, right? These moments where things come into your life and you know, you know that you know that you know that it wasn't just by accident that that came into your life. That was this. 
I listened to them speak. I got the book. I read the book. I was 100% saw myself for the first time in a really long time, like since I was a kid. Okay. And I, so I committed to, I, actually I had some friends of mine and, and this is, this is amazing when it comes to community. We all listened to this together. They knew exactly what was going on in my world. And these two friends decided that they wanted to go to Oolapalooza in 2016 and they were taking me with them. So, and Ula Palooza um, is a live Ula event where a whole bunch of people that want to live a life of balance, growth, and purpose can come together to to dream and goal set about their future in these seven key areas. It's it happens once a year, and it's an event of fellowship, camaraderie, community, and that's what you're talking about, right? Right. So, and I will get into that a little bit because when we went, um, so this was a, it, it is a live event. But we went to a, the, at the time they were running it more than once. So we didn't go to Vegas, which is where they typically hold it annually. Um, but that was the last year that they actually did it in a couple of different places during the year. So we wound up in Dallas with a very small group of people. And you get this one-on-one attention from these mentors who wrote this book. And they give you two days of intensive work. And when I tell you I was emotionally drained, I, I couldn't, I, it was like I was drunk from the emotional impact that this had. But well, what I realized. Let's just talk just for a moment, because like in, in terms of processing it, what what were you going through? Because I think in in kind of us talking about this particular interview, you were saying that you were wrestling with a lot of guilt over the situation, like guilt as a mother over the situation that happened to your kids. And so was was that a big part of what you were wrestling with emotionally? Yeah, that's what I, uh, I was getting ready to talk to. And that was when we went to this, as you had just mentioned a minute ago, they have a segment of this workshop, this two-day intensive experience, really, they have a section that goes through blockers, which you had mentioned some of those, and then they have a section that goes through those accelerators, things that you want to tap into to make sure that you can overcome some things that are blocking you. Well, obviously, when we were going through the blockers, guilt of, of course hit me, especially because we talked about this in the sense of um, the things that you have done wrong that you should feel guilty for, or maybe need to apologize for. And then also sometimes just shame, shame over things that maybe you couldn't control or you, or, or, or put onto you by somebody else. And there was so much of both of those things that were going on for me. Number one, I felt, of course, 100% that I failed my children. I did not protect them in this situation. And that is a true statement. It is hard for me to say that because they are my world. And I mean, we wish we all could keep our kids in a bubble and keep them from everything. Um, but I didn't. I failed in that, that arena, in that area, in that regard. Was it my fault that this particular item happened or thing happened? No. I mean, this was somebody else's actions. But there was an area in which I did not protect them to the degree that I should have or needed to. And I have had this moment with them because we talked about it and I've asked for forgiveness for not protecting. And if you've seen anything about this type of situation, there are many kids who are very resentful and angry at their parents for not protecting them in this type of situation. I do not have that with my kids. Again, I am so blessed with super, super resilient and strong kids. Um, are they perfect? Are their lives perfect right now? I think my son actually struggles more than my daughter, but no, but they are super resilient and strong. They take um, after their mother. This, <laughs> maybe. This is um, something that you don't actually have a real recover from. It's more of working through phases as you approach it in different phases of your life, it comes back up and you work through phases and then the things settle and it gets better and it's not always on your mind, but it still just kind of comes back around and it comes up. So 
the thing that hit me at this particular event was when we moved to the accelerators and we got to the second one that they do. The first one is love and the second one is gratitude. And I gratitude was a blocker. Like I'm, I, you guys um, know the story that is in the book of how Dr. Dave worked into gratitude and had to find gratitude in all situations. We are, they, they give this experience and they tell us we need to find gratitude in everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And for those that are unfamiliar and, with the book, you know, let me just say that the, the story that she's referencing is a story about one of the authors, Dr. Dave Braun, his nephew, uh, JJ, um, as it, while in high school, ended up with cancer and uh, fought the cancer into remission. But because of the radiation therapy, uh, leukemia came back, I want to say a year after he was in remission for cancer and uh, leukemia ended up taking his life. And in that process, um, Dr. Dave, you know, through the process of dealing with JJ and his illness and where he was at in the hospital, you know, this gratitude, Dave would talk about gratitude with the sister and gratitude over the situation and being grateful for this. And ultimately the story ends with Dr. Dave sharing a letter that he was given after his nephew had passed away. And, you know, JJ talks about being so grateful that it was him and not one of his siblings. So grateful that it was him that got cancer and not one of his parents. So grateful that it was him that had it and had to deal with it than one of his friends. And so just this, just, I mean, I get goosebumps and I get welled up just like everyone else does here in the story, but here's this, this kid being grateful that he's the one having to fight this battle and he's the one that ultimately had to pay the price of fighting that battle. And it's a hard thing to understand how can you be grateful when you're facing a life or death situation. And more so is one, or maybe not more so, but then you have to be a parent or this uncle who is watching this happen to your child and be grateful. And that's where I was looking at it from. You know, I was coming at it like, I don't have to be grateful for this. I'm not going to be grateful for this. And you can ask Dave and he'll remember this. He knows this experience because I was so stuck and just crying. And he came over and coached me personally. And I said, I cannot see why or where I should be grateful for this. Now, I'm telling this to a person who lost someone. He, his nephew is gone and he found, my kids are here. And I'm in my brain, I am reasoning through that. And in my heart, I'm saying, no, I don't have to be grateful for this. No way. You can't make me. I was like a, a, a two year old. You can't make me do it. And he said, you have to do it and you have to find a way. And so he was not easy on me. And the next year when I visited him back at the next event, he was like, you were kind of pissed. And I was like, yes, I was. <laughs> it was definitely that. Um, As I think any I mean, parent listening would be like, that's just not what you want to hear. And, and, you know, like, I, I also like to know what you were thinking about in terms of your faith at the time too, because like, I could see it easy being easy for you to, you know, go, God, why did you let this happen? Like, how? why did this happen? Like, how could you allow this to happen? I mean, I could see that it would not only affect... That could, go ahead. That could be like another hour talk, okay? <laughs> but suffice it to say, yeah. Um, I mean, you did have those conversations. It was it was affecting you that um, way, right? There was, a, there was a very big component of this because we were all in the same faith walk that really shook me to my core and I probably still one of the areas that I suffer from in this area um, because there was some things that could have been done to prevent this and some patterns that he had that we were not made aware of and we should have been made aware of it before my sister even married and we should have been made aware of it that's a difference that that subject is just so much whew. anyway um, so yes <laughs> there were some significant areas of faith I will say, though, and in all of that, that I did not lose trust in God. There were some man issues that I had in my faith walk 
some organized um, religion issues, possibly. But I did not lose faith in my creator. I know for a certainty that this is not what he has meant for us. But I know that if he gave it to me, that I would come through it. And we have. We have. So that part did not go away. As a matter of fact, that part probably I leaned into a little bit more and probably got a little bit of a closer walk with my creator, even though it became less about the rest of the faith walk and the community that I had tapped into at the time. Yeah, I think when you when you experience um, crisis or trauma, you know, it's that cry of that heart. It's that it's that little kid in you that just is pleading to understand and you can feel God come close to you. You can feel his presence. You can, you, you know, I've never felt closer to God than when I was going through the fire, going through right. some sort of significant challenge in my life that I did not see a way to overcome or how to come out of it or how to solve it or how to, you know, just endure it per se. And that's when I felt the closest. So I do understand that, you know, sometimes I can strengthen you in certain areas and, you know, to your point, sometimes it can challenge you. But um, going back to, you know, the conversation about gratitude. So how did you, how did you resolve that? How did you endeavor to move forward when he's challenging you to be grateful for an event that just sickened you that that could have almost cost you your family? Right. So I went away from that experience with picking a word that I wanted to filter my life through for the next year. And of course I picked gratitude against what I really wanted to do. I picked gratitude because of Dave, Dave sharing his story and looking at the resilience of him and his sister and how they've come through that and how they honored JJ's memory and keep him alive really through I feel like I know him, you know what I mean? And so I said, you know what? I need to swallow a little bit of this ego and I need to find my way to gratitude. And so I, it took me an entire year, I will let you know. At first, I just started with things like meditation and prayer. I started in faith because I was like, I don't know how to get to it. I don't know how to get to it. And what came to me in that was that I recognized that as I use things like meditation, yoga, working out, exercising, prayer, any of these things that help you focus inward, um, the more I did that, the more I realized that while I was in those states, I wasn't angry. I wasn't resentful. And I started to notice that those are things that were taking up so much space, mental space for me, that I, I was in knots all the time still. Even though this element had been removed, even though I could have been really just focusing in on healing with my kids, I, I still had this area that just kept me tied up. So... And approaching that, I, I started reading, doing research. What do I do? How do I get out of resentment? How do I get out of anger? And the doorway for me was forgiveness. And it's a very difficult thing. I did a lot of research on forgiveness because I knew I needed to forgive myself. And so I, I had to talk with myself. I had to talk with my kids. And I was the hardest person for me to forgive. And I think most people will understand and relate to that. But I also felt like, how do I let go of this person and what he did to my family? I'm not going to forgive him because I don't know how to forgive him. And the research that I did on forgiveness really opened my eyes to see that forgiveness does not mean you condone an action. Uh, forgiveness is not absolution. I'm not the one who has to let him off the hook. His, he answers to someone else and not to me. So for, for me, forgiveness was saying, I'm sorry, I forgive you for having whatever illness you have, and I will never have to interact with you again, and you don't even need to know that I did this. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it so I can write this down and say, I'm giving it to somebody else to handle, 
and I'm giving it to somebody else to keep you accountable. And that is a higher power. And, and, and when you have to face God, whenever day that comes, that's, you know, that's between y'all. And I don't really need to have to bother myself with it. And I worked that way and I worked on letting that go. And as I worked on that, it allowed me so much more space in my soul, literally in my soul. My whole being just felt like I had so much more space. And then I started saying, okay, what can I take from this? What is the gratitude, right? Now, I've worked through all these processes, but I still haven't basically said, okay, so how am I grateful for this? And the gratitude came in that I started recognizing, as I've said throughout this, that I have beautiful, strong, resilient kids that are here. My kids are here. And whatever else goes on, whatever residual fallout, whatever mental help we need to get, whatever therapy, whatever swings their lives go through, they are here. And we have that opportunity to go through it together without the interference of this individual. And that is where my gratitude is. My I love gratitude that. is that I I still have my family. I do. It might not be perfect and we might be a little bit damaged, but it is nothing that we can't work through. You know, it's it's it, as I'm sitting here, I just had this just this feeling of the situation and and just for the benefit of some people that are listening, sometimes when bad things happen to you um, that cause you frustration or fear or anger or whatever, sometimes I'll imagine the exact opposite scenario. In other words, I have a flat tire on the freeway. Well, what if that flat tire prevented me from getting in an accident that would have killed me or one of my family members, right? So like just taking the, mm-hmm. it takes the sting out of it. And so as you were talking, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, here this guy had introduced your kids to drugs. And then, you know, I look at the, at the drug epidemic going on right now. You look at, you know, my, my son just had, was on a 5,000 mile road trip. He was in Arizona visiting a friend. He was there a couple of days, and then I think the third day, um, they actually hear sirens, an ambulance there, and all of a sudden they're wheeling out this 23-year-old kid that had overdosed on fentanyl and cocaine, you know, in the in the process. And it really upset my son, you know, significantly to see this body, this body bag, you know, being loaded in and to know that this kid had just moved in, his dad had helped him move in to this apartment, et cetera, you, you know, a few weeks before. And so I sit here and going, you know, what What if the blessing through all of this is that had this not happened, had your son not had to be involved, have he not really seen what, you know, this man was and that true value, what if that drug introduction could have led to others and could have, you know, led to a situation where he got hooked on stronger, more significant stuff? Like, you just don't know. Like, yeah, it was a traumatic event, but yet, you know, through that event, you know, it really called him to to question life in that moment and to have some clarity around, you know, who he was spending time with and who knows how that's going to affect his life and your daughter's life, you know, moving forward. So like, you you know, we can't see what we can't see. We don't know God's plans. And to your point, I think you just got to trust that there is a plan. But like for you personally, you know, I know you've said Ula has been so transforming for you. So, you know, just as we, as we, you know, kind of close out the show, I'm just wondering, you know, like, where are you now? And then what do you think Ula did to, help you get to where you are are you in a good place now or do you feel like ula was the major contributing factor to that or what yeah so i am in a much better place i think like i said before it's always constant as far as these healings and i will say that my son did struggle in different areas and sometimes you know even now he still struggles uh with certain things but we are like i said constantly tapping into health and to be honest with you he's tapping into ula now which is something he's known about but is now applying so yes ula you know with this is even still working through and refining and assisting and improving our family and so i won't act like it's all perfect right now but it has allowed us to see things, to pull back and see the areas of our lives, to be able to look at those key areas, and to be able to be honest with ourselves. 
and then to zoom back into them and then tap into what we know we need. And I feel like uh, for me, my life right now, yes, I, you know, I'm so distant from that. Um, I met up again with one of my best friends from high school, somebody I knew since junior high, and he had gone through some bad relationships and we just reconnected. Had we connected again, if this hadn't happened, we would not have connected. If this hadn't happened, um, the things he went through and the things I went through, we probably would not have reconnected because we, we had very different viewpoints before going through the things you've gone through. Yeah. <laughs> then you kind of go through things and it humbles you a little bit and, and you start to recognize the value in, in some of the, the things that you see in other people. And, I don't, I don't you know, know if you can hear that. That's the hope train coming through right now. That's that's our hope train, oh. our, our, our local train that comes through. We call it the hope train. I'm moving on down the track. I so I, they're they're I extra exuberant today, honking the horn. I think. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so I do think that most for the for the most part, I think that I'm in a very good place. I am in a very positive place. I am totally able to live in gratitude and start uh, gratitude comes very naturally now. And, you know, I keep working, you know, everybody's a work in progress. And if you're not growing, then you're not doing anything. You know, we were meant to grow. We were meant to, to, to live a life of learning and live a life of growth. And that's how I live. And I love it. And I'm sharing it. And, you know, and again, I wouldn't be where I am. I, you know, I have five beautiful grandchildren that um, I'm completely blessed. My daughter is married with, you know, two of those grandchildren and in and, and a good relationship. So, I mean, there's just, you know, there's just a lot um, that I am so thankful for. The beauty and, and the yeah, blessing so, and the ashes, right? Like out, out of these trials right. and tribulations, you know, there can be something that's beautiful that comes out of it. There can be right. something that is miraculous that comes out of it. And so as you reflect back on how you were feeling in, in, in the midst of the trial, in the, in the moment of flesh and of, of, of anger and anxiety and guilt and betrayal, and then think about how blessed you are now with those beautiful grandkids and seeing your daughter in a great relationship and a loving relationship. And you got these kids that you can be around. I mean, like that, that's the beauty. That's the hope in the situation that, that even the trials that we experience, you know, that's just, but a season, it's not forever. Just because you have a bad year doesn't mean you have a bad life. Just because you go through something challenging, like you went through, doesn't mean that there can't be something beautiful that's born out of it. Right, and, and I think the biggest thing that Ula is, is allowing is a legacy of change in the way um, my kids are thinking, because both of them are very on, on Ula right now, and also in the way that they are teaching their kids, um, so that they're not in a limited mindset, that they are in the right mindset, that they do know that they get to be themselves, they get to create boundaries, even as children. That was not something I learned when I was a kid. <laughs> you just did what you were told. <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, it's true, you know, kiss your uncle goodbye. You know, that was a thing, you know. Now, I never did feel bothered by that, but we should allow our kids to have the boundaries that they need to create. All of these things are changing and shifting because of the experience that we had and the need to tap into a something that would help me pull through this. And those experiences are the things that led me to that. And so it's allowing this different direction and trajectory for the legacy that we are leaving and, and the way that the next generation and the generation after that are going to deal with things and come through things and hopefully never have to deal with this again. Oh. because of that. So your, that is one part. <laughs> yeah, from your lips to God's ears is all I was going to say. You know, let's hope that they don't have to right. deal with that kind of stuff. And I just I just want to thank you, Deanna, for your vulnerability. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your story and, and sharing about how you know, you were thrown something that you did not expect, but found a way to work through it, something that every parent would deem to be an incredible nightmare to experience, yet you're able to work through that 
find a blessing in the ashes and then share that with others. So thank you for, for being an excellent hope dealer for us. Uh, you've been an incredible guest. Thank you. Um, can I add one thing to this? Absolutely. It's short. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to mention is what I, um, what my big dream is would be to uh, create programs I don't actually want to be the creator of the programs. I want somebody who knows how to create programs to create these programs. (laughs) I want to be the funder of the programs. But I would like to fund programs and allow programs for people who have gone through this after the fact, when they've grown up and they have reached different phases. There's not really very many programs for the parents who have to deal with this other than just traditional therapy. Which not everybody can tap into. Not everybody has the access to that. And then, um, you know, as kids go through different phases, like I said, teenagers and my teenagers, they rejected this. Later in life, they've tapped into it. At age 25, at age 30, they've tapped into it. So I would like to create some programs that would, would allow for that follow-up and the ability for these families to heal, you know, in, in a place where there's not a whole lot of programs out there for it unless you can afford traditional therapy. So that's, that's kind of one of my little big dreams. So let's, let's, uh, let's do some manifestation. I think that's an awesome Mm -hmm. dream. So instead of, I would like to, let's change the wording. Mm -hmm. I will be a six figure giver to programs that help families get through what we went through together as a family. You yes. just keep saying that as a mantra. I will be a six figure gigger, giver, not gigger, six figure <laughs> giver to programs that come alongside yes. families that have gone through something similar to what we went through. That's it. I will. I will be a six figure giver. I am not stopping until I get there. Um, and I will be a six-figure giver to help create these programs, oh, for sure. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Deanna, for your time and for your vulnerability, <laughs> your message, your story. We appreciate you, and um, really grateful that you came on to share. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, Jen, what did you think about our interview with Deanna? Honestly, she's so brave. She is. She's very brave. That would be a, such a tough thing to go through. And the way that she's rallied, mm-hmm. the way that she's overcome, the way that she's built her life anew, now she's turned that circumstance into a mission to come yeah. alongside others. Oh, yeah. So, Ula. Definitely Ula. Ula's so rad. I uh, love it. I well, love the framework. As I, as I began and kind of opened up the show originally, I mean, there's a lot of different examples of life change in the area of physicality, fitness, mm-hmm. etc. There's examples of life change in the area of finances and people overcoming the burden of debt, etc. You know, and, you know, we've heard a few stories about people, you know, getting rid of toxic friends yeah. and the like. And But, I mean, really, to go through an event like this, a traumatic familial event where literally families have been ruined because right. of events like this and to have the framework mm-hmm. you know this ula lifestyle framework to have it help her overcome that situation find gratitude in right. the midst of that yeah super super powerful definitely yeah that was that was heavy stuff but you know i'm just so happy that there's a happier ending I agree. And and it, you know what it makes me do when I hear a story like that? It just really makes me commit more to the mission. Imagine what our world would look like if one billion people were living life within that framework, living that life of balance, growth, and purpose, using mm-hmm. it to overcome yeah. obstacles like Deanna did, using it to improve finances or improve fitness or familial relationships, et cetera. I just, right. you know, I think that we would be in a much better world if that was the case. Well, it will happen. It will happen, especially yeah. with you and me and Deanna on the mission to spread the Ula word. We're going to spread it. Like We're going to. Wow. Wow. Fires. Yes, it's going to be raging. I, yes. li- I like that. And so, Jen, if people wanted to connect to hear more about ULA or balanced living, a lifestyle, how do they do so? They can reach out to us on the Revolution Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we will we will have more guests coming on. Mm-hmm. We're going to have more discussions about ULA and how the uh, ULA lifestyle framework can change lives. Well, also, what if somebody wants to share their ULA story yes, with us? Yes, we are looking for guests. Yeah. 
reach out to us. Send us a direct message on our Revolution Podcast Instagram mm-hmm. account. That's yeah. R-E-V-O-O-L-A-S-H-E-N if you're new to our Revolution Podcast. Mm-hmm. Rev Ula Shen. Yes. For Sean and Jen. But find us there. Send us a direct message and we'd love to uh, have you come on the show and tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's do another podcast. How's it sound? Tomorrow. No, same time, same place next week. Next week. Next week. Love it. One a week. I'm here. Get ready for the rest.